You're listening to the Masonic Light Podcast. Starring Pete Ruggieri, Larry Maris, and Jason Lewis. This podcast is not endorsed by any Grand Lodge, and the ridiculous ramblings of the hosts are their own. So sit back and enjoy some Masonic conversation without pretension. And now, here's your hosts, Pete, Larry, and Jason. Hey, welcome. We're here at a Masonic Light Podcast, episode Bente Seis, episode 26 for, 26 you, for you gringos. If Jason does this properly, he's going to put this at the beginning of the episode, and you're going to hear us talking with about 10 minutes of a hiss. Apparently, we had a bad channel on our mixer. But, yep. but um, it was too good, and we're not going to re- rewrite it. So enjoy the hiss, but it gets better after the hiss. It was Jack's channel, so we just turned Jack down, who's not here anyways. Oh, so how you doing, Jason? I'm good. How are you? Good. How you doing, Larry? Doing great. Thank you. Oh, another... So uh, busy, busy, busy. So we're recording this on the 27th of March. That's correct. 2017. Correct. Available April the 6th. So that's probably one of the things we should include in the audio of the show. So people, <laughs> when we talk about something that happened in the real world, that... that it's on the format. Oh, uh, well, nobody reads that, Larry. Um, so, okay, our sponsor for the episode is myself, is uh, MasonicScarves.com. Awesome. So I'd like to thank me for sponsoring the episode. Thank you, Pete. If any of you folks want to sponsor an episode, just sit, drop us an email. Um, it's like bird advertising. It's cheap, cheap, cheap. <laughs> there we go. Oh, <laughs> uh, so Larry. Yes. What have you been doing masonically in the past two weeks? Yeah, actually, been kind of busy attending things and missed it greatly when I wasn't uh, available, recovering from this goofball surgery I had. Uh, last week, uh, attended Goose and Gridiron. We had another very good crowd. Had a put more tables on, got kind of rowdy, and, and Haley, our waitress, had to yell at all the old guys for being too noisy, uh, but we had a great attendance. Uh, that night, I also attended our fellowship night for Lamberton Lodge uh, 476, but we have guys coming in from 43, so the fellowship thing is growing. Uh, we're, we're not necessarily lodge conscious, so we had about 25 guys there, and uh, it, it, was a, it was a great function. Alcohol uh, really bring, ties the room together. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, uh, there's, there's a lot of beer at that night. Beer, pizza, hoagies, you better uh, believe it. I mean, it. you don't need alcohol to have fun, but I've yet to hear about a great Masonic event over salad. Like, it just yeah. doesn't. True. <laughs> you know, Larry offered to buy me a beer that night, and I, yeah, I, I unfortunately did. didn't make it. And consequently, I didn't drink a beer that night because you weren't there. Hey, Larry, talk to the microphone, not to Jason. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can look at me with your eyes, but keep your mouth not pointing in my direction. Don't just eat the microphone. Keep it. <laughs> uh, so so that, that's what that's what I did. Oh, yeah. PA Academy of Masonic Knowledge. Tell us about the Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic oh, Knowledge. It was another great event. A lot of attendance. We had uh, two great guest speakers. Uh, uh, doctor, I will say, Dr. Oscar Allen was a guest speaker. And I do have an interview with him on, on tape that you're going to be playing sometime let me know because he wants to know when it's going to be on. So anyway, the um, so for you guys out of the area, we're really lucky that 
uh, the Pennsylvania Academy of Masonic Knowledge, I guess, has a budget, and they uh, bring in some big-time speakers, and um, it is really good. The first speaker um, talked about the, not the sextant, the... Um, how to find longitude, yeah. the history yeah. of finding like longitude, why it was so important, you know, so you don't wreck in the reefs and things in your ships on land. It was pretty easy to determine longitude, but when you're at, at sea and he explained the differing schools of thought between the guys that try to use the stars and the people that try to use, um, time. So that was kind of neat. Huh? And Interesting. yeah, and early, early, uh, somebody had a, a, a clock or what that was, Within a second a month. And this is back in the early 1700s. That's how accurate this handmade clock was. Wow. Pretty cool. I think we should play, play Oscar this episode while it's current and fresh. So maybe later in the yeah. show we'll do that. He's a, he's a great guy, too. He is a great guy. And uh, I uh, actually, he's going to come on the show. I oh. just have to give him a time and a date and set it up, and uh, he'd be more than happy to come on the show. Anything else for you, Larry? Uh, that, that's pretty much it. That was a busy, busy, uh, two weeks for me. Okay. You can go back to sleep. Jason, what's, um, I had goose and gridiron. Um, and that was really about all I did Masonic. I've had a couple, a couple crazy weeks and it's finally coming to an end. Y is your father-in-law still in town? My father-in-law is home. He just arrived back in Arizona. Uh, he made it from here to Arizona in like three days. And my brother-in-law got married. So his mar <laughs> his, his wedding was good. And we also had an ill, uh, my grandfather-in-law, who we lost uh, just a couple days ago. So funeral is there, people tomorrow. Still, are people still looking for him? Or? Yeah, yeah, they're still looking for him. Well, they're looking for him in heaven now. But uh, yeah, so that's been going on. We've had a couple crazy family things, some happy, some sad. Uh, not a Mason, but I'll tell you what, and then I'll, I'll give him a, a shout out. Maybe they listen to podcasts in heaven. But married for seven one, 71 years. He was 91 years old, right? World War II vet. Got ran over by a tank, screamed out in pain, got captured by the Germans, got put in the mines for nine months. And uh, one of our family members was just watching a documentary about the mines at the, the concentration camps they would put you in. And it was something like 100,000 prisoner of war uh, uh, detainees they, they put in these mines and like 600 survived. So... You know, he's, he's one of 600 that survived this concentration camp and uh, escaped, uh, came home, didn't even go to, like, his platoon or his home base. He, you know, hopped a ship. Yeah, he had enough and came back to he America. Came, he came home. He came home, and he was, like, 90 pounds, and uh, there happened to be a family reunion happened at the, the farm that they had down in southern Lancaster County and walked right up, and his wife didn't recognize him. And uh, he walked up, and he said, hey, I'm home. You need to call my commanding officer. And that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So, you know, he was just a, a man's man and we lost him and, uh, but he had a good run. So that, you know, between that and the wedding, that's kind of occupied my life. Uh, and, and no time for masonry aside from my normal Masonic vocation. So yeah, that's about it. You made it to Grotto last night for the prime rib. Oh yeah. I did make it to Grotto. You know, Sunday nights are typically pretty easy for me to, to make it to. So yeah, that was nice. We did have a good attendance too. Yeah. I think Grotto. Yeah. The room was full. People ate and drank a lot. Yep. Um, I think everybody was really happy with the location and the th place. It is a good location. And the prime rib was out of this world. Um, I, I, I was dumb enough to be first in line. And uh, so I got the, the part on the end that was char charred like a, yeah, it was a little bit overdone. But I'm sure by the time it got to the middle of the steer, it was pretty good. 
it was, was, it was really nice good. to see you at Grotto. I, I know you were relaxing a little bit with your your Grotto attendance, but I'm glad you were there. I didn't get to sit with you though. Yeah, well, I sat with our new uh, our new prophet. Oh, Mr. Uh, Jeff Moyer. Yeah, Jeff Moyer. Can you believe how active I am? I've never been a first line signer for anybody in Blue Lodge. I've been a first line signer for a transfer. But uh, yeah, Grotto was the first time I ever was a first line signer for somebody. You'll get something for that from Grand uh, Supreme Council. Oh, nice. Um, so what I had, I had a lot going on. I had um, Goodwin Council um, of Royal and Select Master Masons. I got elected to become principal conductor of work. So I get to wear a funny hat and sit in the East with two other guys. Um, went to the Academy of Masonic Knowledge. I did not go to fellowship night. Um, I guess the kind of the biggest thing I did was this yesterday. No, Saturday, this past Saturday, because I got elected to become principal conductor of work for whatever reason in Pennsylvania, we do things kind of weird. I never got the super excellent master degree 19 years ago when I got into council. Um, and that is a requirement to uh, be one of the chair officers. So um, I drove two hours um, to go see that degree work in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Excellent. Excellent. And uh, it's one of the better degrees I've ever seen in Freemasonry. So It's a great degree. Yeah. So, you know, I don't want to spoil it for you, but it, it's all written down in the Bible. It's the story of the, of the, last, um, the last king of Judah. Right. And how uh, unceremoniously he went out. <laughs> You could say that. Yeah. But um, so that's it. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We have a great guest later in the show that's actually better than we deserve. So it's probably going to set the bar too high for our show. We'll never be able to do it again, but um, we'll be right back. Hey there, listeners. This is Pete, and I wanted to tell you about MasonicScarves.com. Masonic Scarves offers full-color knitted soccer-style scarves, perfect for you to wear to lodge, out casually, or even to display in your home. I currently have in our lineup pretty much every Masonic body from Blue Lodge, York Rite, Scottish Rite, Grotto, Shrine. If you think about it, I probably have it. Are you a turtle? Well, you bet your sweet ass I have a scarf for that. So you can easily order online with a credit card, and I'll generally have your scarf in the mail the next business day. Do you need an easy fundraiser for your lodge or organization? I can have a custom scarf design delivered to you in about four weeks as long as you order a minimum of 50 pieces. I can help you with the artwork, and you'll have an original item that you can sell or hand out as a gift for visitors or past masters. Visit MasonicScarves.com or drop me an email at info at MasonicScarves, and I'll be glad to help you. Hey, we're back. It's uh, Pete, Larry, and Jason, Masonic Light Podcast. And um, if you guys ever want, you can send us some some love, hate mail, or, or fan mail, or money, or whatever you want to send us. Um, send it to MasonicLightPodcast at gmail.com, or you can leave us a message on our uh, Google Voice number, because we're not going to buy a real landline, because no. nobody has that. Um, 315-596-2766. Just call and say your name, what lodge, and what where you're listening from, and we'll use it as a bumper in and out of the show or something. What, what does that spell? That spells 31559Mason. Nice. Very good. Um, and check us out on our website at MasonicLight.com. So, Larry. Yes. It's time for you to shine. We just had an amazing interview um, when I fixed you um, with Chuck Dunning. 
Yes, we did. Tell yes, us a little did. more about Chuck Dunning. Well, Chuck, uh, it's, 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 it was an honor to have him on. And as I think you had mentioned probably one of the uh, very excellent guests that we've had on the show in a long time. And uh, not that all of our guests are, get rid of that. Wow. Uh, get to, nope. No, get rid nope. of that. So you're trying Please. to say we, we only get like minor league guests who happen to be our friends. <laughs> so just just like so a, we got a, we're, this episode, oh, we have a, a real guest. Yeah. So we actually had a very intelligent, well-spoken, professional author. And he did a great job. He did. He did really. Chuck Dunning has uh, been a master mason since 1988. He's a member of the Blue Lodges and the Scottish Rite Valleys in both Texas and Oklahoma, and also belongs to a number of Masonic research societies. In the Scottish Rite, Chuck is a Knight Commander of the Court of Honor and Director of Education for the Guthrie Valley in Oklahoma, and a Class Director for Fort Worth Valley in Texas. In 2012, he became the founding superintendent of the Academy of Reflection, which is a chartered organization for Scottish Rite. And uh, I think the reason why he got along with you, Larry, is his whole career was in mental health. So he really he actually oh. understood you. Oh, he did, really. We, we, we definitely clicked together. Uh, he wrote a book, and it's a fantastic book. He's been writing pieces of this book since uh, the year 2000 on the Internet, but uh, he had a lot of anonymous titles. He didn't identify himself. Uh, but uh, finally, after a number of years, hey Larry, of, yo, we cover this in the interview, so let's just go Don't to the we? interview. Oh my God. Oh, okay, all right, fine, go ahead. Chuck Dunning, author of Contemplative Masonry: A Guide to and an Exploration of Freemasonry Through Contemplative Practices, is our guest today. And Chuck, tell me what. What, explain to me contemplative practices. Yeah, so contemplative practices is kind of an umbrella term that includes anything that is about focusing the mind to really get deeper into understanding and experiencing something in particular. So uh, one very, uh, I think, well-known form of, of contemplative or contemplative practice is meditation. And there are many, many different kinds of meditation. Um, reflective dialogue, two people really sitting down and having a very profound conversation about their understanding of something. And that, that mysterious thing that happens between people, how their, their understandings bounce off of each other and enrich each other, that's a contemplative practice. And... Um, mindfulness is a really popular thing nowadays, mindfulness. That's a contemplative practice as well. So you can see how all of these things are really about focusing the mind to just be really present with something and, and therefore understand it more deeply. You, uh, you wrote a lot of articles back in the year 2000. You went on the Internet, and it was anonymous, if I'm not mistaken, and you wrote, article after article, and some friends of yours, uh, Freemasons and so forth, uh, said, why don't you put together a book? Tell us a little bit about that process. Yeah, so I, I had been fortunate enough to, to find a bunch of Freemasons in the, uh, back in the 90s, and when uh, 
those of us who were kind of into this contemplative side or what many people refer to as the esoteric side of Freemasonry, we were, you know, we were few and far between. We didn't know much about each other. And thankfully, the Internet came along. And so particularly in the late 90s, there started to form some online communities. And I got involved in one of those. And um, and we were all sharing ideas with each other. And some of us were contemporary practitioners and some weren't, some were more like scholars and so on. And we just had this really rich experience. And, and I started sharing, like you said, started sharing some ideas about contemplative practice. And they said, all right, what about putting this all together in instruction for anybody that's interested in this? And so I did. And, uh, and that turned into the original manuscript for contemplative masonry that was published in 2000 anonymously, as you said, um, on mastermason.com. And, uh, and they hosted that for a long time. Uh, we did a slight revision in 2002, but uh, we had a group of people uh, that were actually working with that early manuscript. And then um, it just uh, kind of sat out there on the internet and masons would download it from time to time and, and lodges would put it on their websites and, and so on. Um, but, um, but then, you know, times have changed and I had some other material that I had developed over the year that I, years that I thought would uh, improve things. And so next thing you know, I've got this book and uh, that's how the new book came to be. That's, that's great. That's awesome. You and I talked yesterday briefly about when did you first become, and I was interested, when did you first <laughs> become involved in Freemasonry and when you began to process this idea of contemplative uh, masonry, tell me about that. It's a great story. Yeah. So actually, you know, like a lot of brothers, I grew up in essentially a Masonic family. My dad was a Mason. My grandfather was a Mason. Um, just, you know, all the men in our church that were really close with our family and that I respected, they were all Masons. And, um, and so I grew up with masonry all around me, but in those days it was old school and they didn't talk much about their masonry. They, you know, they might've worn a ring or something like that. And they might've acknowledged that they were brothers with each other, but they really wouldn't say what was going on in lodge. And, um, and despite all that, my dad kept a copy of morals and dogma and kept a copy of Lightfoot's uh, manual of the lodge out on the family bookshelf. And it was perfectly okay for me to look at those. And so I was about the age of 10 when I started looking at morals and dogma and, uh, and Lightfoot's manual of the lodge and looking at those pictures in the lodge manual and reading all of those fancy big words that Albert Pike was writing. I just knew there was something really profound and special going on in Freemasonry. And, um, of course, I didn't understand a bit of it. I mean, I was only 10 years old, but it instilled in me this sense of mystery and awe and wonder. And uh, so that kind of turned into a precocious interest in the, you know, in the Greek and Roman pantheons. And, and I was a nerdy little 10-year-old kid who knew all of the Greek gods and the Roman gods. And, and, um, and then when I went to college... Um, I got, uh, got hooked up with a philosophy professor. His name is John F. Miller III, and we're, we're really good friends today. But he had a course that he taught 
called the Ancient Wisdom Traditions. And it was basically a review of the Western esoteric tradition and all of the different um, ancient mystery schools and so on, and all modern times with theosophy and Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism. And so as part of that course, we had to do a term project. And uh, that meant we had to do a lot of research. And I went to him and said, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of stuck. I know that what I want to do is a term project on an initiatic society, on an initiatic tradition. But right now I'm kind of hung up between Freemasonry and Rosicrucianism because they both have a lot of appeal to me. And he said, well, do you have any family connections with either one of them? And I said, well, yeah, I have a lot of Freemasonry in my family, and I don't know if I have any Rosicrucianism. And then I noticed behind his head in the bookcase, right above his head up here, was the back of Morals and Dogma. And so I said, you know, as I was telling him about the family connection, I said, and in fact, I grew up reading that book right there over your head. And so he reached back up there and got that book and said, there's your term project. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, and by the time the semester was done, I was ready. I signed a petition and uh, I was initiated into uh, into my father's lodge. Well, I admire you for reading Al, uh, Pike's uh, uh, Morals and Dogma at the age of 10. I'm in my 70s, and I still haven't been able to get through it. <laughs> oh, believe me. I, you know, I did what a lot of college students do. I kind of skimmed through big parts of it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot to read there, a lot to read. When I, when I, read, Pike, when I read Pike, it's like um, he's writing to himself. He's trying to hear himself talk. Yeah, exactly. I think he did like to hear himself talk. And actually, I think it really helps if you read him out loud, because then some of the flow of the words starts to go. And otherwise, it can be really hard to follow. Oh, yeah. He was pretty verbose. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Our guest tonight, Arthur Chuck Dunning of Contemplative Masonry, is with us. I, uh, I have another question for you, too. And I have to make sure my glasses can read this properly. You, you wrote in your book that the role of uh, the mentor, or yes. as you sometimes refer to the person as the initiator, as an exemplar who can challenge and educate, that's my word, by the way, all mm -hmm. brothers. Exactly how does that fit in the contemplative model? Well, that's a really good question. Um, so let me let me go into a little more detail about what I mean by a mentor in Freemasonry. Um, what I see exemplified within the structure of Freemasonry and within the ritual of Freemasonry is, is three kinds of relationship. There's an instructor relationship, there's a companion relationship, and there's an initiator. The companion is just anybody who's there to be with you when you experience something. An instructor is a person who teaches, who has information to pass on to you and helps you learn that information. And an initiator is someone who challenges you before you're allowed to pass on to whatever the next level is or something. So we know that the Worshipful Master tests the candidate in different ways, and, and really everybody does, but under the direction of the Worshipful Master. And so in our initiation rituals, he is obviously the kind of the head initiator 
fulfilling that kind of relationship. Well, to me, a mentor combines all three of those things. A mentor is a companion, a mentor is an instructor or a teacher, and a mentor is an initiator, someone who challenges you to make you prove that you are ready to advance. And, um, and I think all of that fits within the, within the scope of contemplative masonry because what we're looking for when a, in a contemplative experience of Freemasonry is, is great depth of understanding, great depth of experiencing all that can happen within a ritual. Well, what does a companion do? A companion helps you get that depth by being in it with you and just talking about these experiences with you, like we all, like brothers do, right? Right, right. And, right. and an instructor helps you get that by probably the best known example in Freemasonry is helping you learn the ritual or learn the proficiency exam that we have in, in many jurisdictions. And then there's also that testing part of, you, you, you know, all of that helps you get a deeper, more profound experience of what Freemasonry has to offer. And that's why all of those things fit within a contemplative umbrella. I appreciate that. Uh, I think it's extremely timely. We're going through uh, a phase in Freemasonry now where we're getting a lot of younger people. And you and I talked about this yesterday, who yes. are coming into the craft and they come in with certain expectations, and they'll be right up front with you as they're going through initiation. They want to come in because they want to learn about the mystique of our craft. Uh, they want more than ritual and going through the officer line. They want to be able to obtain knowledge, and they're That's really true. in for depth, and, and which is kind of very nice with those of us who believe that knowledge and education in our craft is probably one of the foremost things that we can do in our life. Uh, Larry, pause and let the guest talk. Oh, <laughs> he, he, he says that in every interview I do. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so what I what I was what I was getting at, I think this is so timely that this book has come out, uh, and, and actually it's the first I've really read this. And thank you for doing what you've done. Uh, on My another, pleasure. On another on another uh, area too, and this is always something that I think all Masons are interested in, and that's esotericism. Yes. Uh, it is a misunderstood term in Freemasonry. I and, think so. And I think uh, a, a lot of people have looked upon it unfavorably and favorably at the same time, uh, especially some people that I know that that term scares them or yeah. they don't quite understand it. In your yeah. book, you've done a masterful job of explaining the term and how to use it to benefit our journey in the craft. Can you tell me about your journey into esoteric masonry? Yeah, of course. Um, so, you know, I, I, it goes back to what I was saying earlier in terms of my uh, studies in philosophy and particularly the, the course in the ancient wisdom traditions. Um, I understood from that course that all of these initiatic traditions make use of symbolism and that they make use of symbolism to tap into really deep parts of psyche. Um, and, uh, and also because my background is in mental health and I have, have studied a lot of depth psychology like Carl Jung and, uh, and others, I understood that those symbols have a, not only have a profound effect upon us, but they connect us with things that are kind of inherent to the human experience that transcend culture and transcend time. And, and I knew before I became a Freemason that 
Masonic ritual had all of those potentials. Not only did I know that, when I read what I, was available to me about Masonic ritual, like in Morals and Dogma, like in Lightfoot's Manual of the Lodge, it was clear that those authors understood the same thing. And so it was clear then to me that there's that, that it's entirely possible to experience masonry in a way that helps you um, understand life itself, life your, yourself and the craft all in much deeper ways, in ways that would be hidden if we were just kind of taking things at surface value. And that's where the esoteric comes in. The idea that it is something within, something that is hidden. Well, it's only hidden. It, it only eludes us because we don't look for it. And so essentially what esotericism is, is nothing more than trying to reveal what may be hidden within the depths of something that you're deeply interested in. Have you uh, run into any kind of experiences in any of the lodges you may have spoken to with uh, kind of like, uh, how should I say, a hesitancy of wanting to talk oh, yeah. about it? You have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think there are lots of reasons for that. You know, for one thing, uh, I will be the first to say that, that I have been the kind of esotericist in my past when I was younger who had that attitude of, well, look, guys, I know what this is really all about, and the rest of you are just not being very serious about your masonry, and what you need to do is be more like me. And boy, I'll tell you, there's just no quicker way to get people to, to regard you as an ass than to have that attitude. That is not a brotherly attitude. Yeah. But it's a tempting one. It is a tempting one because it comes from a desire to take this whole thing as really meaningful and really profound. And that's a good desire, but it gets all mixed up with ego. And then, you know, so the term esotericism becomes a turnoff for people that get that associated with big, huge egos that are trying to tell everybody what things are supposed to be. <laughs> and then there's another thing, and that is that a lot of times esoteric studies lead into studies of other religions and spiritual traditions. And that can be very uncomfortable for some brothers, and understandably so. We tell people that when they come into Freemasonry, we're not going to try to change their religion. We're not going to try to make Freemasonry their religion. And so that process of, of looking at other religions or talking about other religions can feel a little too much like that for some brothers. And I completely understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's say you've been on longer than we anticipated and we, we, we enjoy having you on. We could talk to you for hours, by the way, but we don't want to do that. <laughs> well, thank you. We Larry, wanna... Larry would do most of the talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell, tell everybody out there and the many listeners that we have where they can get your book. Okay. It's available on Barnes and Noble. It's available on Amazon. And there are lots of other small little uh, distributors that have it now, but it's available in hard copy uh, for just under $15. And the Kindle just came out and it's available for 4 dollars 
Um, one thing I really want to highlight is that my royalties on both the Kindle and the hard copy, all of my royalties go to the Guthrie Temple Restoration and Maintenance Fund for that beautiful Scottish Rite building in Guthrie, Oklahoma. That is, uh, if you've never gotten a chance to see it, you should. It's one of the most beautiful Scottish Rite buildings in the world. Awesome. Awesome. That's good. Thank you very much for that. Uh, basically, we've been talking to author uh, Chuck Dunning, C.R. Dunning Jr., actually, and uh, we've had him on the show, and uh, you've been a great guest, and we do thank you for appearing. Uh, I want to ask Chuck a question before you, before you throw Chuck away. You know, I, have, I, I have a very educated uh, guest on the show. Um, so you started off talking about um, meditation. Yes. And uh, my wife tried to dumb it down for me the other day because she's into yoga and all kinds of different things. Uh-huh. And she said, like, at the simplest, when they do, like, a weird pose with a weird balancing or something, <laughs> it's like you're paying attention. You have to pay attention yes. to what you're doing. So, you know, she was trying to explain. So is there a way I could do that in Freemasonry just by paying attention to what's going on around me? That is absolutely it. I mean, you the so the the very first lessons on actual practice in the book focus on mindfulness. And that is the essence of mindfulness is to just be as completely attentive to the present moment, to be here right now and fully connected with what's going on instead of also thinking about what happened before you got to Lodge and what happens, what's going to happen when you leave Lodge, but to just be really into the moment. And, you know, you can be really focused like that and really attentive without it necessarily having to be this like super kind of serious sort of thing. I mean, I do recommend that when you're trying to be really focused on that, that you don't let yourself get distracted by, you know, other, other things that we enjoy in the fraternity, like cutting up and, and so on. But you're absolutely right. You've nailed it. It's about just really paying attention. So a very simple practice is to just be aware of your breath, just flowing in and out. And that's a good anchor point for the kind of, of being present that I'm talking about. Thank you very much. I noticed, I mean, I've probably heard a few hundred degrees uh, in my life. And almost every time I hear a first, second, or third degree, I hear something I never heard before. Yep. Even though I know the ritual in and out, like, I'm like, oh, that means something different to me this time. There you go. That's right. That's right. You see it from a different perspective. And and so some of the meaning, the potential meaning within it has been revealed to you. And that's, uh, I mean, you're talking like an esotericist now. That, that's, just, <laughs> that's the bourbon. That's the bourbon. <laughs> bourbon. Bourbon can also be a contemplative practice. <laughs> Only because we can't get peyote here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay, I'm going to leave that one alone. But, uh... <laughs> Texas, uh, give me your address. <laughs> it was good having you on the show, Chuck. Take care, and we'll be in touch again. And uh, Thank you. Uh, we'll be glad to have you back anytime you want to come back. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun, and, and I really appreciate you promoting the No book. problem Thanks at all. So and thank you for coming on Masonic Life Podcast. You have a great day, Thanks, sir. Thanks, Chuck. Right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And we're back. Uh, great interview. Um, thanks to me helping Larry out. And um, yeah, come on, Larry did do a good job. He, well, he, I guess so. <laughs> There's just um, that hump in the middle. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we got. We, 
so we're going to shut up now because there's a lot of stuff that we have pre-recorded that's going to be actually good. So um, we're going to hear from Brother Seth Anthony. Seth Anthony. Uh, with his uh, Corpus Obscurum. Corpus, uh, now you got Corpora Obscurum. <laughs> yes, and um, I believe we've been talking about this for months, but I think Brother on the Street actually recorded something. He did, he did. It was a good one. It was yeah. a good one. All right, so Brother on the Street. Um, and and uh, we should wrap up with our Academy of Sonic Knowledge interview. And, and I'm not going to ramble. Then we're going to let you... We got a new law firm tonight. Yeah, we're going to come back and ramble, oh, okay, of course. Okay, yeah. Yeah. All right, so here, let's just shut Larry up and let's go to the pre-recorded stuff. All right. You're about to enter Corpora Obscura, the realm of weird fraternal organization. Leave your Freemasonry behind. Prepare to meet druids, caliphs, and wild creatures. Knock thrice and enter at your own risk. Oh, well, look who's back. It's our Masonic Light podcast listeners. On today's Obscura Corporum, we're going to take a look at an organization that symbolism is most often confused with Freemasonry. The Junior Order of United American Mechanics still exists today, but in a very small capacity. The history of the group is rather spotty, leading to even more interesting research for the keen fraternalist. Mr. Paul Bessel, a renowned author on fraternal subjects, offers the following description. The United American Mechanics was founded in Philadelphia in 1845 under the name Union of Workers. It began as a nativist working man's organization to fight against labor pressure from increasing immigration populations, specifically the Irish, Germans, and Roman Catholics. In 1853, a junior branch of the organization was founded. The Junior Order of American Mechanics became an independent society in 1885. Its members were white males between the ages of 16 and 50, of good moral character, believers in the existence of a supreme being, in favor of separation of church and state, and supporters of free education through the public school system. At the height of its popularity, the Junior Order had 200,000 members, dwarfing the high of 40,000 members for its former parent organization. The word junior in the organization's name had no reference to the age of its members after 1885, and similarly, the word mechanic had no relevance to the members' occupations. The junior order defined its objectives as promoting the interests of Americans by shielding them from the economically depressing effects of foreign competition, establishing a sick and fraternal fund, and working to maintain the public school system. The order had initiation and obligation procedures, which, like other fraternal groups, were religiously oriented. Membership eligibility requirements changed over the years to include Jews, African Americans, Roman Catholics, and women. The Junior Order's mission evolved into one of developing a legal reserve for life insurance benefits. This was due in part to the declining membership in the early 20th century. Membership was divided into two categories social members, and those enrolled in the insurance program. By 1965, insurance memberships had dropped to 35,172, with 15,000 social members. And by 1979, the group boasted only 8,500 social members in total, about half as many as insurance members. The symbol of the order is a square and compass, similar to Freemasonry, within which is a flexing arm wielding a hammer. 
You can take a look at the logo and one of their fezes in the fraternal section of the Museum of Fezology at fezmuseum.org. Brother on the Street with R.C. McCorvey. Okay, back by popular band. It's me, brother on the street, R.C. And uh, I was getting my oil changed this morning and walked across the street over here in Columbia. And uh, interesting, interesting thing happened. I ran into a, 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 a older brother, uh, Master Mason, and here he is. I think that ASCII. I belong to Lodge number 286, and I'm a, a steward and a trustee of the Lodge. How long have you been a Mason? I've been a Mason going on 42 years. Okay, it's good to interview you. You've got a lot of knowledge and a lot of wealth. And uh, he never heard of a Masonic-like podcast, so he will be getting information, and this will be his first time listening to it. And um, in 43 years, can you give me some... Uh, different changes and things that's going on in this area? It's, it's become uh, easier with the uh, with the uh, pamphlets that were handed out when uh, Tom Sturgeon was was, uh, was White Worshipful Grand Master of Masons about six years ago. When I started out, you had to know all three degrees. Be proficient in the third, but you needed to know about the air, the first degree and the second degree. Made it tough, but you didn't forget about what you what you learned. Very rewarding. What do you see the changes uh, back then, and what do you see different now? What I see different now is that it uh, Freemasonry has become the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania has become all encompassing. You know, color skin should never ever ever have anything to do with being a good man. It is what's here, and it's what's up here that counts. And that I am grateful for because we have we have brothers all sizes and shapes and that and all different colors now, and that's what true brotherhood really is. Alrighty, so what do you see in the future of missionary? Well, I think we need to to be more open, be more uh, like I said, be more compatible with people. I mean, it's it's changed so much in the nearly 42 years that I've been a bit of mason, but. Uh, they're more and more interesting in what it is, you know, just the things that are kind of dry because there's too many young people that will go and be uh, a base and that and they don't come back. And that's sad because there's so much to learn. Make a good man better. So my question to you is what, you, for, you say 43 years? Going on 43, I'll be 43 years this coming November. 43 years ago, what made you decide to become a masonry and stick with masonry? The camaraderie. The genuine honesty in Freemason, and we have the ability to help others, and that's what you need to be doing. Oh, I'm really enjoying this interview, man. You betcha. Me too. Me too. So you're going to tune in to Masonic Podcast, Light, L-I-T-E. Okay. And this is Brother on the Street Live, backed by popular demand, on the street, interviewing my brother here. And, uh, and Ashkey. You guys all have a good day now. Yes, have a good day. Yeah.
I'm standing here with brother brother Oscar Allen. It's terrible. You know, it's, okay. it's, it's an age thing. Sorry, but <laughs> we met before. We were at the uh, the Lodge of Research up yes. in up in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. That's I a long well. story there, and a great presentation. Yeah, on clandestine clandestine yes. Freemasonry, and it yes. was awesome. Just awesome. <laughs> it was so good. We made you a fellowship. You that certainly thing. did. I still have the orange apron. <laughs> You're here today. Yes, sir. I just gave a presentation, which yes. was fantastic. On, uh, not co-mason. Companionship. Companionship. Yes. Do you see how confusing that can be? <laughs> you talk about companionship, Freemasonry. Yes, yes, yes. In France. Yes. And right away, you think of the ladies in the lodge. Yes, well, you know, so, French, have that, that. French have that effect so, on you. How did you get interested in, in, in the, in the co Companionship. Companionship. So part of this was uh, part, uh, I would say, my uh, research into the origins of Freemasonry. Uh, and actually, the reason why I got into this particular research topic was around uh, a piece of work I was doing around the symbols. Because everyone had this focus on uh, the symbols and where did the symbols for Freemasonry come about, who did they belong to. Uh, and I found quite quickly that there were about two to three and a few other groups who used the square encompasses in the same capacity that we do as Freemasons. Uh, and in some way, shape, or form, uh, in one particular instance, one or two, predated that of the Masonic use. Uh, so I was pointed to the French Companion uh, group and organization uh, as one such entity that uses square encompasses. So in order to find out more about them, I went to a website. I found um, uh, a researcher who was actually the uh, the head of the Museum for Companionship um, and Study of Companionship uh, in France, in Avignon, and he and I have been communicating. He wrote a piece on this linkage between Freemasonry, uh, and I asked him, would it be okay if I translated it and brought it to the attention of the American audience in a way that could make sense to them versus that of from a French perspective? Oh, cool, cool. Have you been to Avignon at all? I have been to Avignon. I've been to Paris, and I've been, been to going Paris. to. I know been, you've been to Paris because you mentioned yeah. that in, yes, in, yes, the, uh, yes. in your presentation yes. today. And the the when you go online and you see the museum for um, the the companionship, uh, it's quite spectacular. I did go to the one in Paris. There's a smaller one okay. in Paris, and I met with Jean Jean Michel there, um, and we've been communicating. And there's so much terrific stuff that's been shown uh, with respect to the operative guilds and, yeah. and these kinds of organizations. That is absolutely awesome. It really is. Thank you. I, I don't want to take too much of your time because I know you're going to be back on the stage, but one of the things you and I talked about, we want you to come on Masonic Life Podcast. Oh, most certainly. And we can do remotes. We can do everything. So yeah, basically, looking forward to uh, it. Uh, we, 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 we will do it. We'd love to have you on. Oh, be my pleasure. I need your card. I gave you one of Mars. Well, but you'll have all my so information by the end of it. So I can communicate with you. But yes. anyway, that'd be fantastic. I'm looking forward looking to Looking forward it. to having you on, really. Thank you, brother. Like I said, I've seen a couple of your presentations, oh. and I'm always in awe. You're too kind. And also, too, I have the uh, your bio down here. Ah. We'll, we'll, we'll put that on before I bring you on as the, uh, <laughs> it's okay. the guest on the microphone. Just, no, just we'll, say Brother Oscar. We'll that's do all the right thing. No, just say Brother Oscar. <laughs> I'm always fine. I tell people that's that's all. Fantastic. Thanks so much for the interview, Oscar. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. All right. Yeah, and I have a, by the way, and I'll keep this recording, we have a bromance. The producer of our show, Jason Lewis, by the way, yes. thinks you're absolutely <laughs> it. And he had wished he could have been here today. Uh -oh. He's got a family so where is commitment. He? Uh -oh, he couldn't family commitment. His father, which he doesn't get to see too often, is in from... Uh, Somewhere out west. Okay. And uh, his father-in-law, I should say. Oh and yeah, so well that's important. They yeah, had to take, he had to take care of that. Yeah, that's that's not but an option. He would have been here. He would have had a picture with you. Well, so. tell him that he was missed, and you know I look forward to seeing him in person soon.
Jason, what the hell was that? That's not exactly the phrase I was thinking of. Oh, Larry. Do you, 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 we, this is, we cannot ever let Larry record anything with I know, us and he wants again. to, he wants to do interviews at his house alone. <laughs> he got, okay, let's just, uh, cause I don't know if he ever said it. Um, Dr. Oscar Allen, PhD. He is a wonderful Freemason. I see him everywhere at AMD week. I see him at the Academy of Sonic Knowledge. He's not just a, a intelligent person, but he's a good man and he's a, great to speak to. And he was very polite that you, A, messed up his name, you messed up his topic, and you messed up, like, where we were. Because you, you didn't even say Academy of Masonic Knowledge. You made up some other... Oh, I meant the Academy of Research. Yes, okay. Oh, All my right. goodness. So, Oscar, we apologize. <clears throat> and uh, if we have you on the show, if you would ever honor us to be on the show, um, we'll mute Larry. Yeah, Pete's going to interview you. <laughs> Alrighty. So what else? What else is going on? I think uh, you should have already played everything else that was recorded. Yep. So um, I think we're just going to let Larry ramble and we'll get out of here. Well, you have, or do you have anything coming up in the two? Weeks? Yeah, we should talk about things that we have that we have coming up. And uh, yeah, you know, I did want to say, speaking of Academy of Masonic Knowledge, um, you know, our friend Jack Aquilina. Uh, just had on Jason Richards. So Jack Aquilina on Brought to Light had on Jason Richards, one of the co-hosts of Masonic Roundtable. So Jack has been making sure that he gets all of the Roundtable guys on, and and he's talked about education, podcasting, yada, yada. But Jason Richards' big hummer is Masonic education. He does some stuff with his Grand Lodge and his jurisdiction down in the D.C. area and Virginia area. And he said that Pennsylvania is way ahead of the curve. He said there's, you know, out of all the research he's done, there's nothing like Academy of Masonic Knowledge and gave um, really big kudos to to things that are happening in Pennsylvania, which, you know, I think that sometimes as Pennsylvania Masons, we take for granted, especially being central Pennsylvania Masons, because I didn't realize how big of a deal Academy of Masonic Knowledge is, and it's literally 15 minutes away from us here. So I just thought that was pretty, pretty neat. Larry, do you have anything coming up in the next two weeks? Next couple of weeks, other than lodge and two weeks and uh, goose and garrote iron breakfast. Uh, no, kind of. You coming bit. to Tall Cedars tomorrow? Uh, no, not. Thanks a lot, Larry. Uh, Jason, are you coming to Tall Cedars tomorrow? I am not coming to Tall Cedars tomorrow, but I will tell you why. Tomorrow, I volunteered, uh, and I'm excited to help out. But I was asked to be a honor guard <clears throat> at uh, Stacy Meeker's installation in Amaranth, and uh, Stacy is. Our friend and brother, Seth Anthony, is betrothed, and I believe they're getting married later this year, but she asked if I would come and, and serve in Amaranth, so, which Sound. I am a member, so I'm going to go do that. Sounds kind of cool. So I guess I let the cat out of the bag. I've got junior, senior tonight, junior, senior night at Tall Cedars tomorrow night, um, and that's where we invite all the other junior deputy Grand Tall Cedar and senior deputy Grand Tall Cedar from our district. Uh, it's black tie. It's, um, it's, it's a nice night. Um, okay, well, maybe, um, <laughs> let's see, uh, Wednesday I'm getting a crown, um, a crown, I'm getting a new tooth. Oh, oh, gotcha. yeah. Not, not that kind of crown. Um, next Tuesday I'm going to see Brit Floyd, um, in Hershey. Um, so I guess that's it for, uh, for Freemasonry. So that's it. Yeah. I th Wednesday, I might attend that virtual lodge that everybody's been talking about, but we'll see how that plays out. Scott Hoover wants to go go do that too. 
Larry, take us out of here and let's end the misery. All right. Banjo music, please. Uh, special thanks to Monarch Studios uh, for hosting us again uh, and letting us continue to record here. Uh, we really do appreciate that. Uh, our producer and uh, co-host, Jason Lewis, for continuing all the magic he does. But let me tell you, folks, if you'd see this uh, S show, uh, you'd realize how good this guy is. Uh, oh, also, our... Pardon? You're too kind. Oh. Also, our uh, news director, Jack Harley, who is visibly absent again tonight. Jack? Sometimes, like, when you decide that uh, in 23 hours before the show that you're changing the time to 5 o'clock on a no weekday... excuse. Jack actually is a gainfully employed. Yes, he is. Yes. Unlike us. But he is going to a effort of borough council meeting tonight for no for whatever reason. Because he probably cares about his community? Oh, I guess. Whatever. Anyway. Uh, also, R.C. Uh, McCorby, uh, Brother on the Street, which we have an interview, uh, which uh, will be which Jason has integrated in the show. Uh, also, two uh, special thanks to... Uh, how about oh, Joey? How about even though it was last Joey, yeah, episode? Joey, Joey Doggerty uh, for providing that grotto music. That thing has been, that is awesome. Absolutely awesome. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, come out again. We'll take the show out with that this week. It sounds great. Allowed. Sounds great. And we do have a new law firm, folks. A new law firm. Long Ball. No, I'm sorry. Oh, God, I messed this Long up. Long duck dong? No, 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 no. The, the, the new law firm is Low Ball and Lynch. That's better than Long Ball. <laughs> yeah, Long uh, Ball. Uh, low, L-O-W-E, Ball and Lynch. Uh, great law firm, uh, still practicing, doing business today. Uh, we're mentioning it because it's a unique name as uh, law firms go. Um, better than pain and fears. Uh, breaking news. Saturday, April 22nd at... In Elizabethtown, the Demolay are having a chicken pot pie dinner, so everybody get on high alert. What time is that? It is 3.30 to 7 p.m., $8 per person, $4 per child, or 12 if you're Jason because you eat five servings. Oh, man. You know, earlier in the day is the that same day is the James Buchanan wreath laying, and Lodge 43 guys go in tails and... We uh, stand at attention. They're having a Chinese auction, and I could really use one or two of them. So I'm excited. There you go. Oh, man. I, 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 I thought I was taking us out of this place. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. All right. Whoa, 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 whoa. I want to finalize the rambling here. One more thing to say, and this is very important. To plan for tomorrow is a good idea. But you better have a plan for that plan. Because we have no idea how any of those plans will turn out. You've used this one. No, I and didn't. And it's still horrible. Yeah. No. Yeah. He, you, no, you, I, I swear. didn't. I didn't. All right. Oh. I'll tell you what. Oh. For our listeners, if you go back and if I'm right, then you get nothing. All if right. I'm wrong, you can get, what do we have? Well, let's let's put it like this. The we'll un- send you a pen. Okay. The unknown is a state stand. of mind. The unknown is a state of mind that exists somewhere. Okay. Goodbye, everybody. Good night. Good night. Whoa, 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 whoa. I want to. Okay, basically, here we go. We're going to go one, two, three. Chuck Donner. Never mind. We'll do it again. (laughs) One, two, three. Whoa, 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 whoa. I want to. Sorry, guys. I I didn't think I used that one before. (laughs) I didn't. (laughs) Focus factor. Oh, hell. If you didn't have me doing this, the show wouldn't be worth shit. Mm -hmm.